With Father's Day right around the corner, what do you give to the man who has everything? Easy. You give him an experience he'll never forget. You give him Omaha Steaks because a world-class dad deserves a world-class steak. The Father's Day experts at Omaha Steaks have made it easy to put a smile on the big guy's face this summer with hand-selected gift packages starting at just $89. Just go to omahasteaks.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout for an additional discount when you shop gourmet gift packages for Father's Day. With Omaha Steaks, the possibilities are endless. Endless flavor, endless variety, and endless value. Truly, they have perfected more than just steak. Your dad is guaranteed to love every bite. Go to omahasteaks.com, use the promo code BLUEWIRE to get an exclusive savings. Shop for unforgettable gifts that are guaranteed to make dad's day. Because if there's one thing that Omaha Steaks knows, it's the dads want steak. That's omahasteaks.com, promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to save on exclusive packages starting at just $89. What is happening? Welcome to another On the Corner episode where we go over mock drafts as I butcher the opening. My name is Nick Pollock, and joining me today is someone that does not have a podcast on the Podcast Network. However, he is the longest member of the Pitcher Gifts and Pitcher List family outside of myself. This is Ben Pernick. Ben, so good to see you. How's it going, everyone? <laughs> it's oh, it's been nice to be, be the veteran Yes. Yeah. You, you have had a regular article at Pitcherless since the very beginning. Uh, ben Pernick was a roommate with me in college at Brandeis. And when I started the site as Pitcher Gifts, I reached out to Ben and said, Ben, you were into baseball too and you write and want to write something? And he said, sure. And you wrote about prospects for a couple of years. And since you've really found your groove with the buy and sell. And uh, I think you're the only person on staff that I trust to write better puns than I do. So, uh, oh. and <laughs> or oh, worse man. puns, depending on uh, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly right. I'm sure the other staff is like, Excuse me, Nick, uh, your puns are the worst, everyone's puns are better, and that's a very, yeah, very fair argument. But right, Ben Pernick is here, and Ben, um, what is your Twitter handle so that people can follow you? It is at Benjamin Pernick, so it's, it's hard to remember, I know, but uh, but definitely, I uh, give Ben a follow. Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about this Pitchless the Mock Draft. We're continuing this long series. For those that don't know, you can check out the, the entire draft board in the podcast description. Uh, this is a standard 5x5, five 12-team, five, 23 rounds. It's Yahoo rules. So that means we have two different Otanis, the hitter and the pitcher, are different players. You have three outfielders, two utility, uh, wins and average, and it's head-to-head. It's as standard as it comes, and I know that a lot of people play in 15-teamers and NFBC and all these extra stuff. This is the ultimate baseline. This is the majority of people, and we feel it's important to have this foundation that you can establish on top of all the things that you have in your specific league. So we do this every year. Uh, this one finished in uh, the middle of October, around October 13th or so. So keep in mind, as we talk about these picks, uh, we're talking about it now on the 29th. Uh, and everybody probably listening to this in November sometime, maybe even December. Keep that in mind as things are sure to change uh, along the way. But 
here is your mock draft, Ben. And you drafted from the eight spot with a very convenient slot right next to me. Uh, and I, I took the first, you know, I had the first slot of everybody. I took seven because I just wanted to be involved a lot. And I found I, I liked it a little bit. I, I'm curious your thoughts right away of, A, did you seek the eight spot? B, how did you feel out of it? And C, was there a specific strategy that you were thinking about before the draft started? I mean, I think it, I didn't come to the eight spot as much as the eight spot came to me. Mm. I, I took a while to sign up, but then I was I was like happy with it. I was like, oh, eight, eight is still available. Well, that's pretty good because I've definitely maybe just out of pure laziness done the being at the end so I can just get both of my picks done at once. Um, but then I realized, I mean, I know Ariel Cohen has talked a lot about how there's sort of a disadvantage to being at one of the, you know, having the first pick or, or the last that the winners of the NFBC championships usually come from the middle. I think you just kind of have a better position and you're able to adjust I think a little bit better um, from right. the middle if things change yeah. and you don't like have some crazy run where all of your options are suddenly gone. Yeah, you don't have uh, you have to commit more and take chances. I mean, I talk about the Miss Frizzle method that I implore, especially in 12 teamers, uh, take chances, make mistakes, get messy. And you certainly have to do that if you're at the pillars uh, of the board. I found that I do like being in the middle before the exact reason. And it's just you never feel dissatisfied with a pick because of it you get you know you get the constant okay I, I i you know this is a guy that's supposed to go in this round all the time and from that eighth spot did you feel you had a certain strategy that you wanted to try in this first mock of the season i think i wanted to target speed because i think in so many drafts i always say oh well i'll just get some late late game speed options and then i look at what's out there and it's like a malik smithy kind of guy and i'm just Ooh. like uh and then i end up being like oh i'll find something on the wire and then i'm just chasing say usually saves and stolen bases all season and it's like just a, a pain so i wanted to really be strong with also the closers and starting pitching and i said hitting especially power hitting that is sort of my favorite thing to find late later in the draft. Mm, sure. And I think I stuck to that pretty well. I don't know what it was. The way that you said really, really struck a chord with me and I absolutely adored it. Um, and that's that's something that gets reversed a lot. You know, I, I certainly am guilty of chasing those three pa- uh, three category power guys like runs and RBI and home runs early and then try to get by with a couple stolen bases in a head tight league. And that's that. Um, and I, I do agree with you that uh, it's kind of easy to find that stuff later on these days, um, while speed is, of course, a premium and especially ones that don't drag you down in the other stats. So we're, we're going to see how this plays out. And it's interesting you mentioned closer too, and we'll talk about that soon. But in your first round, it's the eighth pick overall. Guerrero Jr., Acuna Jr., Tatis Jr., Turner, Soto, Bichette win the first six. I went with Jose Ramirez at seven. And at the eight, Two questions. One, was there someone that you were hoping would fall here that you were upset about? And two, your pick, which is Shohei Otani, the hitter, was it someone that you went in thinking, that's who I want? I mean, I actually was really hoping to get Ramirez (laughs) because... Yes! Yeah. That's what I wanted to hear, Pernick! (laughs) It's true. So Otani was sort of the consolation power speed option because he doesn't really... I, you know, Ramirez, I think, has more upside as far as the batting average. But but I was happy to get Otani... I mean, I know that 
people think of him as still a big injury risk, especially with this being his like first full season. But it was just so good. And I think really like the injury risk, I think is I see it really as a pitcher because most of the injuries he had as a pitcher, he was still hitting. But I mean, this was the first year he like really showed us what he can do. But I do, I, I know that it's probably fair to bake in a lot of regression, but at the same time, I mean, he's just a, such a otherworldly talent that I kind of also want to believe if, you know, if you, I forget the expression, but something along the lines of once you show it, like you own it. Right. Right. That's, um, that, I think that's a more of a baseball HQ thing about like those skills. Oh uh, no, I pulled from someone else. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've certainly said it too. Um, but yeah, it's like, right. Once you have that ability, then it's all of a sudden like something like, okay, now we're aware of it. And that's important to show that ceiling as opposed to us hoping someone will, will achieve it. Definitely a lot more of a, um, a believable skill then or a believable outcome in the future. Right. And, and I think, I mean, just when it look, you look at the stat cast metrics, I mean, it's like a hundredth percentile barrel, barrel rate of 22%, hundredth percent max exit velo, 119 miles an hour. I mean, it was just, everything was so good. And especially, I mean, a hundred miles per hour average on fly balls and line drives. I mean, yes. that's just like wow. so sick. Um, and like even his so, expected stats were. So just amazing. for everybody listening, when, when Ben says a hundredth percentile, that means he was the best. <laughs> He had the number one. So I want to, yeah, I know it's a weird way of saying it, but it doesn't necessarily, I thought it meant number one, but apparently if you're like top three. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. That, 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 see, look, this is why I need this clarification. My this God, I know I lie nothing. statistics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Right. That makes sense. hundred percentile. Like I have a hundred. Okay. I get it now. Um, there's not a hundred players. So, I. Uh, so here's the thing about Otani. I actually was one of those guys and I still kind of am. That is more on the out of Otani because, I mean, for two reasons. One, peak seasons in my draft, especially early, I don't go after for the most part. Um, you can see that with my draft. I've said everything. I think, think every podcast I mentioned that. It's all about it. And um, so that's one thing I see. Okay, 46 home runs, 26 stolen bases. I think a lot of people might actually be surprised that it was 26 stolen bases from Otani this year hitting. 200-plus uh, runs in RBI. Um, I, I see this and go, okay, this is great. A 33% home or five ball rate and 158 games played and 640 played appearances. Likely not going to be at that level across the board again. Um, and I've also been on the side saying, yeah, this is a full season of Otani where they were terrified to take the gloves off because of the history. Not, but not just Tommy John, but before that in the majors and before that in, in Japan. So it's not like that was the only injury he's ever had was the elbow. And I. it's great that he had this wonderful season. I mean, seriously, I've been rooting for this forever. I mean, any baseball fan is. I don't believe that he's going to be able to do it a second time. Now, you made a really good point saying that if he's injured, it's probably going to be affecting his pitching and not as much of his hitting. And I wasn't taking that into account as much. Say, so, okay, let's say he is hurt. I mean, if it's like a hamstring, if it's a lower half thing, then find stolen bases, maybe come back. But if it's other stuff, if there's something else going on, it might be 140 games at hitting and just fewer starts or something along those lines, as opposed to everything just coming straight down. Now, all of a sudden, it's 100 games or or whatever. So that actually makes me a little bit more intrigued about chasing Otani than I and was before. One, yeah. One was, other but, thing, though, yeah. I think with Otani, um, I mean, he had a 15% walk rate, which on the one hand, you're like, oh, that's great. But on the other hand, he was crushing the ball so much that I'm like, 
oh, I'd much rather have him be batting. But I think part of that was because the lineup with Trout and Rendon being down, you know, I think if they're there, and I know lineup protection is kind of a whole iffy thing, but for one, he'll drive in more runs. But I also think maybe he'll, even if he does have some fewer at-bats due to injuries, and not to mention, I mean, a lot of the guys in the first round, Acuna, Tatis, like there's even Trout. I mean, there's injury considerations there. But I think he can even if he has a few less like less games playing time, he might actually get more uh, at, at bats and with right. that more homers than you might expect. Yeah. There's a, uh, right. You're making a good distinction there between at bats and plate appearances, like actual ability to, to produce um, keep in mind, of course, if he's walking and he has Rendon behind him, well, there's a, that one Oh three runs could be uh, uh, able re- Replicable, man. I want to say replicatable. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can't even. Uh, yeah, I, my brain is shutting down. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, I guess. Noted. Yeah. Something to note, by the way, everyone listening. Acuna Jr. went second. You're thinking, what? He's out till May. Uh, yeah, this happened before we knew that time when we thought it would be opening day. Now, of course, there's the, the Bregman and Acuna conversation where he's saying Mayo. I'm saying he's expected back in May. Will completely change his draft stock. So. In the seventh spot, I don't expect to get Ramirez now unless someone goes after Burns or Cole or something like that. Uh, and uh, I thought, I think I got very lucky. Um, you could be seeing, honestly, Jose Ramirez go in the top four now with Guerrero. I mean, he made three Tatis, Turner, Ramirez being, I think, the best three speed power options. And then there's Guerrero and Soto and then maybe Boba Shett. So I got very lucky at seven with Ramirez. Um, I don't know why I keep bringing that back. It's not about my mock. It's about your mock, Pernick. <laughs> and Otani, okay. I understand, will go here a lot because he will produce when he's playing. It's just how much is he playing? Well, that's the, the gamble you're taking. Um, second round. So uh, I think you mentioned getting a closer uh, and speed, correct? That was Those are the two things you focus on. Was starting pitching part of the mix there? You know what? I, I really think so also. Um yeah, I wanted to shore up. I mean, I know last year I kind of went with a pocket aces strategy and the the Toby special, but not <laughs> the other to not the pitcherless Toby. <laughs> oh no, no, right. The yeah. uh, the Baffet crazy, crazy Toby. Toby. Yes. Uh yeah, I mean part of it is just that I sort of as you know, you're the expert on the pitchers. Uh, I feel like my specialty is more of the hitters. So right. I know that if I try to wait till later in the game. I might not get the right pitchers and they'll get hurt and I'll just be chasing pitching the whole time. So I really wanted to shore up with somebody that, you know, I could just set it and forget it and be comfortable in the rotation. And I think I kind of did that with Bueller. Yeah. I mean, this is uh this makes a ton of sense. And uh, I I'm obviously, obviously biased about how you should approach pitching and, and everything. Uh, but you said it best play to your strengths and your strength certainly is finding hitting. I mean, I've said it before, but really, the buy and sell article that Ben Pernick puts out every Wednesday of the year is a must read. Um, you do such a great job of breaking down who's going in the right direction, who isn't. Um, and it helps someone like me who does not focus on that stuff tremendously in season. So, right, you go after Walker Bueller after Burns and Cole are already off the board. And to me, yeah, Bueller is the number three. Uh, it's just. He's that good. I don't know what else to say about it. He he went 207 innings this year. Uh, we didn't really expect that from Bueller. We didn't know if he'd really take that leap above 180, 190, especially after the short season last year where he only had 37 regular season innings. Uh, but the Dodgers didn't have a choice. They had no one else really to turn to uh, with, with Trevor leaving the team, uh, with uh, Gonsolin not really panning out, Dustin May getting 
Uh, Tommy John, David Price not panning out, and they yeah they needed Bueller. Not to mention also Kershaw getting hurt at the end. So right. two forty seven ERA. Managed, yeah. Sorry, I just said didn't you know it was great that he managed to be fine. He didn't even really seem fatigued. Right. Yeah. Nine point nine seven WHIP, twenty six percent K rate. Uh, constantly going six frames is the thing too. So for quality start leagues, a really really uh, amazing season for Bueller that should not change next year. It's hard to f- argue a higher floor here. Uh, Scherzer went after, and yeah, we don't know what the injury is going to be with there. Uh, Brandon Woodruff hasn't had the workload of Bueller before. Um, Jacob DeGrom, of course, injury. Bieber, obviously, there's questions there. So, yeah, Bueller to me is the definitive number three. I'm cool with this. And if you want to get a pitcher in the second round, Bueller should be the third off your board. Was he higher than Cole or Burns for you? No, I, th- I think I had Cole actually as my number one. And I mm. think I think Burns, well, just because it was so dominant and now for a second year. But, you know, Bueller, I, I still think he's kind of considered like the high floor guy, you know, and I think that's really because the K rate isn't close to what Burns puts up. But I mean, I don't think he's totally is what he is because he does have, he did show a new slider that was, a really awesome weapon with like a 40% O swing, 20% swinging strike rate. I mean, it was, uh, I guess you could call it a Bitcoin pitch again ah. now that that's back. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> you know, and his, some of his other pitches maybe took a, a bit of a step back to kind of make room for it, but his changeup was really good. I, I just think, uh, you know, he's, he's still evolving as a pitcher and really kind of like finding the secondaries. Um, so I think there still could be untapped K upside. Definitely. Um, yeah, the strike percentage on that slider for Bueller was uh, 68%. He threw 15% of the time. And that was actually back to the 2018-2019 marks for, for strike percentage. And uh, yeah, the 40-40-20 that you talked about, both swing zone and, and swing strike rate, again, just like 2019 for Bueller's slider. So that, that that's really good to see um, that pitch come back for him. Uh, the cutter was effective. The curveball is weird. Um, it's not getting the amount of called strikes that you want it to see from a curveball. That is, I think, his definitive fourth pitch. Um, just a 16% rate, which isn't bad, but it's normally when you see a fourth pitch curveball, you want to get it into the 20% range. And only 58% strike rate on it. Um, so it didn't really help as much as you'd want it to. Um, it really meant that his four-seamer had to do more work and wasn't the overwhelming swing strike rates that we want to see with that too. So there... There certainly is, to credit, more room for growth, I think, with with Bueller really fine-tuning this mix. Because they are all excellent pitches. The four-seamer, the cutter, the slider, even the, the sinker, too. And that curveball thing that can develop further. So, yeah, this could be a 30% strikeout guy. That's not out of the question uh, for Walker Bueller. But uh, let's move on to the third round where it's Starling Marte. And for whatever reason, I'm saying this with a smile because Starling Marte with me and Fast is just kind of like this joke of that he's just the best guy to get in the first three rounds and doesn't get enough appreciation and all this stuff. I didn't go Starling Marte because I was just worried about what shortstops were. And I mean, I don't know if that was necessarily the right play, but I didn't know anything really about hitters going in. I just know Trevor Story is good and shortstops often shallow but here you are third round starling Marte 47 stolen bases for Marte this past year absolutely startling and even better in 120 games with 12 home runs 86 uh, sorry 89 runs 308 average just 55 RBI but man 
I mean, are you seeing anything close to that kind of production next year for Starling Marte? Well, first off, I think now I'm from now on, I'm going to call him startling Marte. There it is. Done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. That was not planned. You just said it. Not. I'm like, oh, that's, right that's there. just that's just how it goes, Pernick. Yeah. But I mean, I, I love Marte because, I mean, especially now with those 47 stolen bases, I mean, actually stolen bases are the lowest that they've been since 1964. So oh, wow. they're really. Yeah. And when you look at like Trey Turner and. You know, people talk about him going as a number one pick. And there's really like, I see a lot in common. I mean, not the position and not the age. I mean, that's the kind of crazy thing is that he did this, you know, not, I think he's what, 32, 33 years old. Yeah, he just turned 33, Stelling Marte. He is not a spry huh. young chap. But he's he's still making it work. Maybe he's got those like Ricky Henderson, late. you know, just able, he's able to get it still. And I think right. it's kind of crazy that, it's, uh, you know, he's kind of being in, considered in a similar range as like Mondesi when there's so much risk there. And Marte, sometimes, I mean, the power, he had 12 home runs this year, but he did hit 308. But there are years where he was hitting 20 home runs. And who knows, even if his stolen bases go back a little bit, if he steals 35 to 40 bags and hits even like 15 plus home runs, 290 average, I mean, that just puts puts you in such good position to not have to worry about stolen bases for yeah, a while. It's, it's, it's something um, I think you can pair him with, uh, you know, if you get a major RBI guy, like if you get Vlad Jr., I would be aiming to get Stalling Marte to pair that. I think that's just such an amazing one-two punch. I I do wonder, yeah, where where is he going to go? You know, he's a free agent now. Stalling Marte just got dealt from Miami to Oakland. Um, in the in the Jesus Lazardo deal, and we hope that he can you know play for more than 130 games or so. I mean, keep in mind, Stalling Marte has one season above 132 games since 2016. That was 129, then 145, 132, 77. A full season of 2020 with actually an extra one game, um, and then 120. Uh, of course, this past year. So there is that to consider, um, but uh, I mean, it's hard to find more elite speed without destroying your your power and, and run production. I mean, it's really just the RBI side, but then again, yeah, maybe if he goes 140, 150 games, that's going to be 75 or 80 RBI. And that's, wait a second, that all of a sudden turns into first round talent. So I, yeah. I hope it works. And uh, I just want, I'm curious where he does go. Yeah, I hope so too. And just one one last thing is yeah. I know he's still not seen as a power guy, but he did have a 113 mile an hour max exit velocity and like 8% barrel rate. And I'm like, okay, you know, from someone who's making a lot of contact, you you could spike another like really good power season with that. Yeah, Marte would have to change his approach a little bit. The the ground ball it's rates have ground traditionally ground. gone up um since actually since 2016 where it was 48 percent every year it steadily increased uh to 55 percent uh pretty much matching it 2018 2019 now it's at 55 while the fly ball rates are down to a career low 24 percent uh which isn't great if you want to hit a lot of home runs that uh, is true but, but we'll see i mean that, that that stuff can change every year and adjustments can be made uh, maybe we do see that changing for Stalling Marte. But let's go to the fourth round. And you mentioned this before. Liam Hendricks was off the board in the second round. I talked about this with Kevin Hastings. And he talked about his plan. He wanted to get Salvador Perez. He wanted to get Liam Hendricks from in the second and third round. And he needed to make sure one of them was 
you know, the one that could have gone would be Liam Hendricks. So he took that one. So here you are, fourth round, just one reliever off the board. And you went with Josh Hader. Uh, this was your plan, it sounded like. Yeah. I mean, it's a hitter graveyard in Haderstown. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm just happy yes. Broadway's back. What can I say? There you go. Uh, never hold it back ever, Pernick. Uh, Josh Hader, I mean, another stellar year, 123 ERA, 0.84 whip, 46% strikeout rate. And that means that despite. Just 59 innings. Josh Hader had 102 strikeouts. That cannot be ignored. Yeah, I mean, I think, I know Hendricks, you know, he he had a good year, but honestly, I mean, I would rather have Hader. I mean, Hendricks mm. definitely, he had moments where he was not looking so great, especially earlier in the year, where Hader was just so dominant. I mean, 28% swinging strike rate on the slider, you know, his fast, I mean, but the fastball with a 18% swinging strike rate for a fastball. I mean, that's just, everything was just completely dominant. I think he's going to get uh, another full season of saves. I, before he was considered one of the top ones, even when Devin Williams was seen as kind of a threat to the role. And now right. because he fought the wall and the wall won, I think that Hater is uh, going to be completely <laughs> uncontested and just... Keep, and I think it really is good to have like a lockdown closer. So I'm really happy to have him. That's the dyslexic version, right? I fought the wall and the wall won. Um, the, uh, the slider had a 28% swing strike rate. The fastball forced him at a 21% and a changeup had a 23% swing strike rate. He misses a lot of bats. Let's just, let's just put it that way um, with Josh Hader. It, it's, oh my, sub 100 batting average allowed on your four seamer that's thrown 66% of the time. With two thirds of the time getting a strike, that, uh, that's crazy. And one that's other thing, so I mean, good. I I think with uh, him versus Hendricks, I mean, just look at the age, and you know, relievers tend to not always age well. And he's going to be twenty seven with Hendricks at thirty three. I think I'd yeah. rather take my bet on the guy in his prime. Right now, he's. Well, I will say, Hater will be twenty eight in uh, ah, okay. on, yeah. on April April seventh. But still, I mean, he's still young and uh, certainly has the arm for this. Hater fourth round, uh, you're probably going to see it a decent amount and something to consider uh, moving forward just because saves. I mean, again, it's about what you want to do. You know, you're talking about you feel comfortable with hitters, not so much with pitchers. Then secure a closer. So that means you don't have to play as much of the, the waiver wire game in season. Um, and really, you're putting yourself in some handcuff in some way in every draft. Well, for you, it's like, fine, I'll just make it so that getting hitters, I can deal with that. Um, fifth round. Tim Anderson. So this is, uh, there are a lot of shortstop is something shortstops that I've discovered uh, doing this mock draft. I've always been a fan of Tim Anderson. For me, it's, um, you know, there, there are all those players that you look on other teams and sure there's like your Juan Soto's and your Mike Trout's fine. But Tim Anderson to me has always been that guy's like, oh, I wish he was on my favorite team. You know, every time I watch Tim Anderson, I'm just, I have so much envy uh, that he, you know, he's not someone that I've been able to root for on my team forever. And I've, I'm a believer in his, his batting average and his BABIP always being high. He's such an incredible pitch uh, guesser. And I don't want to say guessing. I feel like that's even wrong. 
Uh, but he's he's very good at understanding sequencing and staying on it and locking in. And this past year, what we saw from Tim Anderson, keep in mind, 121 games, 17 home runs, 18 stolen bases, a 309 average, 94 runs, and 61 RBI. And keep in mind, that's across three-fourths of a season. So you can increase that a bit for 140 and change or so if you expect, of course, him to hit above 123 games because he actually did exactly that in 2019. Injuries have always been a small thing with Tim Anderson. I've already talked too much about this before getting your opinion. <laughs> ben Pernick, tell me everything we should know about Tim Anderson. Well, I mean, Tim A's got wheels. I think he's uh, he's just really great. He's uh, I, I actually used to not be a fan of him. I always thought the average was going to come down and then I'm just I'm dealing with the Tim A. Tim A has wheels. That's so good. <laughs> the wonderful sneaky South Park reference in here, my lord. Okay, sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was really tempted to go for Wander Franco here. And I mean, I think Franco's gonna be awesome. I'm not so convinced he's going to be great with stolen bases. His minor league numbers with stolen bases, I or not so much, but not to not to cast aspersions on Franco. I think he's going right. to be awesome. But uh, Anderson, he's just really reliable. I trust in the batting average to stay high. And especially with Marte, I think this gives me a really high batting average floor. And I think later on in the draft, it's really hard to find batting average assets. Mm. So I, I was just uh, happy to get him here. I think maybe if he does get a full season next year, 300-2020, pretty much a lock with lots of run production. Because I think the White Sox are just going to I think they kind of underperformed what their offense is capable of. And I think yeah, next absolutely. year could just be amazing. You have Luis Robert, uh, Robert and uh, and Aloy Jimenez come back in full, um, which is very exciting uh, for White Sox fans. Abreu wasn't quite as elite as we know he can be, and he should be really. Um, Tim Anderson, hopefully with more time. Yeah, I think that offense. And also, <laughs> I mean, Grandel with all of the, yes, high, still high OBP, but sub 200 average and everything that was going on for ages uh, when he did put the ball in play and all. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of positive regression coming for the White Sox, and it should certainly help out Tim Anderson. Uh, fifth round Tim Anderson is never going to hurt you, really. Uh, it, you're just going to be happy with that. It also does lean into your philosophy of saying, hey, I can find my RBI home run guys later on. Because Marte and Anderson's really set you up for average and, and, and stolen bases. So we'll see kind of how that develops. Uh, we'll go into the sixth round. And it's Lucas Giolito. And I was actually surprised to see Giolito around this late. Um, I, I, I went with Jack Flaherty, who I like slightly more. But these are two guys that are high volume and high quality volume uh, for next year. Giolito does have some question marks, and I wanted you to dive into him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's true that this year was pretty disappointing. But still, I mean, he give, he gives you the volume for that Geo dude has been a rock. Oh, yeah, there it is. Bring it <laughs> there out. it is. OK, now on to the I mean, he did have a 327 XCRA, so maybe some of it was bad luck, but I mean, I, I kind of wonder a lot of his breaking stuff seemed to just really take a dive in terms of less O swing, less sw swinging strike rate. So I think with Giolito, I wonder, you know, they talked a lot about like Garrett Cole with the sticky stuff. I don't know if it affected Giolito too, because I know it was kind of weird how he went from just being terrible to suddenly awesome. So I, I really don't know exactly why why those pitches did take a dive. I mean, his curveball 
is still his worst pitch, but it did get 11% swinging strike rate. I don't know if it's a good idea for him to bring it back because like it used to be such an amazing pitch as a prospect, but it's really performed badly every time he's used it in the majors. But that yeah. that's really all I have on him. But I just think as far as volume and I, I think the floor is still relatively high. It's going to be an under four ERA, maybe like mid mid threes and with a good K rate. So I uh, so there's a couple things about Giolito. Uh One is props to him for really r- rallying by the end. Uh, last three starts, two earned runs over uh, 16 innings that made this turn from about like a three seven in change. I mean, we have turned people away to a three five three. I mean, really, his his final uh, his final two months of the year um, saved a lot of people as it was a two three six ERA. Uh, 0.97 whip and a 28% strikeout rate for Giolino's last nine starts. That really shifted the season around for him as before before those that little stretch from Giolito, it was a 3.980 array, and you weren't thinking as good about 116 whip. Just to, just to give some sort of understanding if you were rostering Giolito. And a lot of those concerns came from the mental or really the approach was not as locked in as we've seen in the past. Um it's really been forcing for changeup for the most part. That changeup has become just this absurdly overwhelming. Haha, you can't touch this. I don't really care. Pitch and it got beat around a bit more this year. Two ninety one BABIP as opposed to the two eighteen marks, the two fifty four we've seen in the past. Uh, two eighteen batting average allowed, which is the first time it's been really above two hundred. I'm not even going to really count two thousand eighteen because no one cared about Julio until two thousand nineteen. Um, the slider became a more of a, a, a used pitch as he pulled back on four seamers and that was okay. It was good. I think, uh, I still think there's more room to grow with it. Um, 63% strikeout rate is really good. Um, but just a 35% O swing on Giolito's slider. And it's not to me, I mean, it has a good swing strike rate, 20%, but it's not that kind of slider that you think like, oh yeah, he's got, watch out for that slider. Um, it, it's a little weird to me. I don't know if I buy the 172 batting average allowed and everything and 200 Babbitt that it had. I think there's just another step to improve on that slider and to see the four seamer take that step back from a 14% swing strike rate in 2020 to a 12%, it just get hit a little bit harder. Uh, it does make me a little concerned. Um, over, however, he will get volume, 180 plus innings. He will pitch for a very good Chicago White Sox team. And there was this four game stretch or so, if you remember, where he woke up too early for a game and then he was scratched a little. It was like four games where he was out of rhythm for a bit that messed him up, I think, in May or, or so. Uh, and I think Giolito is going to be solid. Like he's, he's, he's like your better Jose Barrios to me, um, of a better whip. A better strikeout rate and pretty much the same ERA over the over around the same innings. And I know and you hate cool. to say it, but <laughs> but probably better win potential too on the White Sox. Probably exactly. Um, so sixth round to me, you're getting a very stable starter, um, and that that's cool. It's not necessarily the same ceiling I think as you know you got with Bueller or uh, Woodruff or you could get with Wheeler or Alcantara. Fine. But sixth round, I mean, this is your SP2 also. Um, I would be okay having Giolito as my SP1 just because I don't feel in any way that I would be. There's no way you're dropping Giolito this year. It's just it's just not the case. You feel so locked in on that. Same with how I feel about Flaherty. Um, yeah, I mean, 
If I knew that every single draft I could get six round Giolito, I'd be completely waiting uh, five rounds, get hitters just like I did and get Giolito or Flaherty or something like that in the six. So seal of approval from me for six round Giolito. I think that's just amazing that you can get that. So good stuff there. Uh, I'm going to move on because I can talk a long time about pitching. I realize I just ramble on and on. So seventh round, uh, Jesse Winker. And I remember this year looking at John Metzler's hitter list randomly. I don't know when, maybe sometime in July. I was like, oh, let's just, let's just kind of see what's going on. And seeing Jesse Winker inside of Metzler's top 20 hitters and thinking, what happened? You know, it's just 40 winks. I fall asleep and this is what happens. <laughs> And talk to me about Jesse Winker. I know there's an injury problem here too that is a bit of a risk reward, but what uh, yeah, what do we see for 2022? Yeah, well, I mean with Winker it was really about just putting it all together. I think we saw in his early career, you know, he had great OBP, great average, great contact and you could tell the power potential was there, but he wasn't doing it. Then I think it was 2020 where he really he the barrel rate went way up but his strikeout rate jumped to 25%. But then this year, it really looked like he put it all together. Winker had a, just a 15% K rate, but with a, an 11% barrel rate and 113 max exit velocity. I mean, his his expected stats also were awesome. 292 expected ba- batting average and 500 or 515 X slug. I mean, I think it's just the the finally just maturing as a hitter and learning how to make hard contact without sacrificing uh, his uh, contact rate. But the only thing is just, will he stay on the field? And that I really don't know. Uh, But I do hope I'm optimistic that there will be a DH for the National League. And if that happens, that'll give him a much better opportunity to not get hurt, which I think right now is is the only real question. Because, I mean, where he went in the draft at pick 80, there were like, he went right after J.D. Martinez, and the next high average bat you can't get till Alex Verdugo, which is like many rounds later. So, right. So, so you're approving of the J.D. Martinez pick then? Oh, I am. Yeah, I okay, probably good. would have taken J.D. Ooh, yes, yes, Pernick. That's the only reason why I do these podcasts. I just want affirmation for the things that I do. Now, uh, yeah, 24 home runs in just 110 games for Winker, 77 runs, 71 RBI, and a 305 average. I mean. It, 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 you look at the, the under the hood as you as you mentioned. It's just not, you know, it, 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 nothing's bad. <laughs> you can't point like, oh, he, he shouldn't have done this. No, sixteen percent strikeout rate is really good with eleven percent walk rate. His woba was four oh three. I mean, this is this is crazy. Uh, he's such a good hitter, and I hope that he can stay healthy. Really good point about the NLDH. You're not really getting any kind of ceiling outfielders at this point too. I mean, Brian Reynolds, Michael Conforto, Mitch Hanniger, Austin Meadows, all for me, like, yeah, Hanniger had this amazing season, but the injuries questioned are still there. Um, and of course there are for Winker too, but I feel the whole package is way more believable with Winker. Uh, this is a seal of approval to me uh, because it's just, yeah, seventh round, Jesse Winker, absolutely take that chance. Fine. You might not get him for a full year, but you're going to get so much production when you have him and you'll, you'll just be happy, you know, swapping in for whatever. It's a 12 teamer. Outfielders are the easiest thing to replace. Just just read Ben Pernick's article. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. So so <laughs> I really love this It's going to be pick. okay. 
Um, but yeah, I, I imagine around this time, I think honestly people are going to push him up to the fifth or sixth because of just the potential. This is around the time, though, in the draft, I think. In the seventh round, it's really where hitters start to drop. Um, I mean, just to, just to really give a reference point here, I'm going to recite the sixth and seventh rounds of hitters. So you have Arenado. Uh, actually, the order was Rendon, Wander Franco, Muncy, Bregman, Eloy, Giancarlo Stanton, Javier Baez, Correa, and Arenado. Really all excellent hitters, sixth round. Seventh round is Christian Yelich, Chris Bryant, Alberto Mondesi, Rosarena, Abreu, J.D. Martinez, and Winker. And that's really where you you end off. And that's, again, really, really excellent crew. Brian Reynolds, Jorge Polanco, Jazz Chisholm. Okay, I, I see. I understand all the arguments there for those guys. I get that. Yeah, the next rounds, Conforto and Schwarber and Hanniger and Edmund and then Mountcastle and Cabrian Hayes and DJ LeMayhew and Real Muto and Austin Meadow. It starts to, you start feeling, uh, okay, this isn't so good. Few hitters were even taken in the It's like when you start walking and you hear the ominous music start to creep in. <laughs> exactly. So Winker to me here is like right at the end of, hey, you have legitimate first, second round upside um, without like the terrifically bad floor. That's injured is different than just being bad. So w- it's way different uh, attributing those two things. Um, and I'd much rather have the guy that could get injured than the one that just wouldn't be good, uh, which is your 10th round pick. Um, and we'll talk about that soon. But uh, yeah, this is something that I really am trying to um, f- identify as much as I can, because essentially once that wall hits is when you should then go to pitching, because that's where the, the value then lies. It's not in the hitters anymore. It's, it's in the starters. Um, so actually, that's what you do. Eighth round, you go back to the well again, third starter. And it's Frankie Montes. Keep in mind, still on the board here, Shane McClanahan, Jose Barrios, Dylan Cease, the other Shohei Otani, Logan Webb, Yu Darvish, Lance McCullers Jr., and Charlie Morton all go before your next pick. After Montes, talk to me about Frankie Montes and what drew you to make him your SP3. Well, he definitely, it helped that he won me my home league when I traded pitcher Otani and... Uh, I think it was Trevor Larnock for Aaron. I mean, it was a keeper league, but Aaron Judge and expiring Frankie Montas. And then oh, he was wow. just, a, it was like right before that first start where suddenly he was a beast. So I, I sure. only know him as a beast. I mean, he was so good. <laughs> he had a, a 217 ERA in the second half with 102 Ks and in 87 innings with a 199 average against. I mean, and even on the season, Montas at 13 and 9, 207 Ks. You know, it's just, uh, he he really just looked locked in. You could set it and forget it. And I think uh, also his ni- 97 mile an hour fastball was the best we've seen yet with an 11% swinging strike rate. I mean, his split was just like crazy, crazy good with a, I think it was a 26% swinging strike rate and 44% O swing. So and the slider did take a step back, which before that was really his other great offering. So he could kind of, argue that it was a little bit more of a two-pitch pitcher but it worked for him and Oakland being a great place to pitch I see no reason why as long as he stays healthy he can't put up another dominant season so the first 15 starts uh and the final 17 are really tales of two halves for uh for Montas and I it's not even fair how I'm doing this right now but I'm I am going to do it uh, at least early on in the year, we felt really shaky about Frankie Montas because he didn't quite have rhythm with his splitter and slider yet. Um, and through his first 15 starts, it was a 479 ERA, 
that is at the end of that was an eight earned run start. Now, I do want to mention it was seven earned runs to start the season against the Dodgers. When you drafted Frankie Montes, like, what is life? How did I ever do this? He responded very well against the Astros and Tigers. He had one six earned run game against the Twins, and then he had that eight earned run start against Texas. But even between the games that he had one earned run, two earned runs, he never was overwhelming. Um, say for you know eleven strike, I can't believe that had four earned runs. He it would go back and forth between do I have my splitter, do I not, do I have my slider, all that stuff. Then it really clicked, and there was a moment. I mean, I, I you know writing the roundup, I'm just saying, don't think. Just start Frankie Montas. Don't even get into the whole matchup stuff. Don't get into this and that. If you're not starting Frankie Montas, you're doing it wrong. Because the last 17 starts of the year for Montas, 224 ERA with a 104 whip and a 29% strikeout rate. Uh, absolutely ridiculous. Essentially averaging six innings per start along the way. Uh, he had starts against Houston and the Yankees and the White Sox and the Giants and the Padres when they were still decent and the Red Sox, it did not matter. Only one of these starts was above 300 runs. And that was four against the Royals. It was just a weird day. It's just, you know, you're allowed to have a bad start every so often. Uh, every single starter has that. And that was the one of these 17 for Montas. Now, the question, though, is that we've seen the back and forth from Montas constantly. Um, this is this is kind of what he does, and that's often because he throws a splitter as his number two. I don't want to say it as his number three. It's kind of split with his slider, but when you have a splitter as your one of your main secondaries, it can speak to inconsistency more so than others. But the splitter, honestly, this year, 126 batting average allowed, while the slider had a 274. However, both of them were under a 60% strike rate. You gotta have a you gotta have a secondary pitch above sixty percent. Something that you can really turn to and say, no, no, no. When I need a strike, I'm going to get it with you. Just a six percent called strike rate and a whopping twenty seven percent swing strike rate on the splitter, which is so crazy. But that's that's kind of what the fastballs became. And combined, they were about a seventy two percent strike rate, which is super high. Uh, and they were just good. I mean, I don't even want to say good. They were fine. They were serviceable. 258 batting average allowed isn't like this stupid good fastball for Montes, but keep in mind, right, this is including both the first and second half uh, for, for Montes. So, yeah, and I wonder with, with Montes if, uh, you know, last year he really struggled. He had that back injury, and he never really, you know, got back into a groove. He was kind of a mess all year. So I, right. I still wonder if the beginning of the season was just him not having had that chance to click and that maybe now that he finished the year with confidence and healthy, you know, and it's like any movie, you know, you, you get beat up a bit in the first, then, then you climb the stairs and then there's a whole, uh, Frank, Frankie montage. Right. Of- so they're oh wonderful. Um, and by the way, you're mentioning the back injury for I think from 2020, then you're wondering if that maybe carried over a little into 2021. That's an interesting idea. Maybe that is the case. Um, I, I I do like Montas and the fact that he threw 187 innings, that he's he should be good through the year. There is I just can't get out of my head the the, the slight instability because of it's a sinker sorry it's a slider splitter and the slider just isn't that great. Um, you know, not a high strike rate, not a great you know results pitch. There are times he gets into a groove and that's cool. But it's not nearly as good as you'd want for a guy that has a splitter in that repertoire that he is ultra dependent on. 
and being ultra dependent on that splitter. It's really just Kevin Gaussman's splitter that I trust. That's like the only one I do in the majors right now. It's it's a little back and forth, and that's the only issue I have. Um, so at the same time, eighth round with other guys I mentioned. I mean, Barrios. I, I've talked about Barrios endlessly. Uh, Dylan Cease. There obviously is concern there. Otani. We're talking about with health and Darvish and a lot of these guys. Montes is going to be around this group for me, so I have no problem as your three. Um, just make sure anyone listening that he isn't your two. Because there is more risk, I think, of, hey, you're going to have some bad periods, I think, with Frankie Montas, and it, you're not going to like it. Uh, you're going to have some skepticism or doubt at some point this year. Just something to keep in mind. Um, let's move to the ninth round pick, who is another pitcher. And before we get to that, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, so you're thinking, who who could be this other pitcher? Well, it's Rizel Iglesias. As you decide to lock down saves definitively with Hader and Iglesias, why did you go with Iglesias over the other closers on the board? And by the way, you took the second and third closers off the board here. Yep, I kind of wanted to have a monopoly on it. Uh, I really don't trust some of the other closers going later. I think a lot of teams now are kind of embracing this, uh, you know, multi-closer approach. So I, th- I think, and especially, I felt like Reisel, he got 103 Ks. You know, he was he was really, he had a dominant season. So I was just like, so many rounds later than I got Hater. I figured, why not? I didn't really like, of course, I paid for this just in terms of the hitters, especially my infield later on. But, you know, he had 34 saves and under one whip. And, uh, also, like a 21% swinging strike rate uh, overall, which is right. That's uh, risen for the third straight year. I mean, he, he's just really dominant. And I love having those two lockdown closers. I think I can just uh, hammer away that position and not have to take gambles later in the draft on like maybe closers that I might want to drop after a month. No, so you really did make a good point there that, right, you're by taking this Iglesias pick. Uh, that's nine rounds, and you have two outfielders, a shortstop, a DH. Uh, I mean, does does, uh, does Otani get anything else outside of DH? Actually, does he have any position eligibility? I think it's just D in our league at least. It's DH, which I kind of didn't realize when I drafted him, but uh, you know, I still justified it in my own mind. Well, okay, it's it is a Yahoo league. Uh, it, he does have five. You know, he is outfielder because he has, I believe he has five games that he. Oh, nice. Start them at outfield. I think that's what matters for it. And I should know these things before I start a podcast, of course. Come on, Nick. No, no. Seven games in the outfield and not started. 
So he does not have outfield eligibility in Yahoo, Shohei Otani. So, right, you have a DH, two outfielders, and a shortstop. And obviously for me, I'm like, I need a plan. I need to get my I need to get my third baseman. I need to get my short uh, my second baseman a catcher because I don't want to deal with that stuff. And you don't have that. And you're saying no. My that's my strength. I'll figure that out. Uh, I'm going to go to to relievers and uh, three starters first. And hey, that could very well play out because again, that's your strength. And as far as closers coming, Iglesias, 37 strikeout percent strikeout rate, four percent walk rate this past year is just really good. I think I think anyone can. <laughs> Can attest to that. He is a free agent now. I imagine Iglesias, wherever they sign him, should be a closer, and it should be for a winning ball club. Generally, that's how free agents work. If they're signing these big guys, it's because they're on a good team. <laughs> and they're saying, hey, we want to spend to be competitive now. Uh, I, there's not really much more to say than like, yeah, you should be having, you know, you should be picking Iglesias as a top five closer. I think Rick Graham, our reliever expert here, uh, would agree with it. Now, the slider is a 24% swing strike rate, a 42% CSW, which is just absurd. Uh, 65% strike rate on it, and then a four-seam or 71% strike rate. It gets a ton of ton of strikes, 35% CSW on it, 225 average. It works for me. Uh, Iglesias should continue to be an excellent uh, reliever. 96.4 miles per hour on his fastball was Iglesias' highest he's ever had on his fastballs this year. So, yeah, I mean, ninth round sounds pretty good to me. If you want to get a closer, get a Glacius. Uh, tenth round. Now, here's the fun. This is Cody Bellinger. And I want you to talk about Cody Bellinger because obviously this was not the ideal season for Bellinger. Just 95 games was recovering from that shoulder injury that he had celebrating his home run in the World Series last year. Just 10 home runs, 39 uh, uh, runs, 36 RBI, 165 batting average, 237 Woba. What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, you may remember him as the guy who hit 305 with 47 home runs and 15 (laughs) stolen bases at age 23. But you really didn't see that this year. And I mean, I'm really just banking on that. It was as someone who's sometimes had bad shoulders, like, and it can really just mess you up. I'm just banking on an off season and maybe some approach changes. Cause a lot of times you can still play through an injury, but it really messes with your form and with hitting being so timing dependent and it, it can just really throw you off. And uh, I saw an article by Brendan Goloski that said on October 20th, he changed his stride to be a little, uh, get a little earlier in the box, a little more forward. And I mean, when you looked at what he did in the playoffs, small sample size alert, I know, but he, he was pretty good in the playoffs, hitting 353 with a homer and five stolen bases in 39 plate appearances. So that kind of gives me hope that maybe he really just needed an adjustment and just in season wasn't able to really make it. But I still just look at the age and the upside, and I, I love to bet on rebounds for younger players. And he's still, you know, really young, has dual first base outfield eligibility and you know, with most of the top options at first base off the board at this point, I just felt like the upside um, is is worth the risk. Steamer kind of has a more, it's a pseudo optimistic op, uh, projection of 241 with 26 homers and eight stolen bases. I guess I would be okay with that, but I'm obviously hoping for a little more. Yeah, Cody Bellinger, um, I have no idea where it's going to land. 
uh, you're you're certainly taking a chance on it. Uh, I would argue it's not the pick that you need to make, Ben. It's it's something that us plebes need to make. <laughs> but you don't. I mean, you have a, a solid offense right now. You need more help with um, infield positioning. I think at this point, and you'll find a you know a, a fun gamble to take with your buy and sell and everything of what you do. That uh, in the tenth round, I'm thinking that you need to find something more secure at yeah third base catcher second base i uh, do you even have a first baseman i guess this is your first well, baseman yeah i was thinking of him as my first baseman here okay all right so i mean brandon belt cj crone jared walsh who you did take later on reese hoskins joey Votto. there are more secure options at this point for that uh but i mean look if you're you're you're, you're saying hey you should buy in on cody bellinger because he's making those late adjustments and you want to buy back in on on younger guys who had their adversity after doing wonderful things. And I say, yes, you know, uh, the Jason Hayward effect. I understand. No, I, I'm just kidding. I no, this is actually something I talk about a lot with pitching where guys come out of the gate, they do really well. And then they get, they go through a period of struggle for the first time. And I get really excited when they come out of that. Cause generally that means that they've made the, the right adjustments. The league figured them out. Then they, they countered back and that generally sticks for a long time. Sure. We haven't quite seen that bounce back yet from Bell- Bellinger, but he's certainly due for it. Um, and he, yeah, he's still young. I mean, Bellinger is going to be 26, 27, uh, next year. There's a lot of opportunity there. The Dodgers will certainly let him play once he locks in at any rate. Uh, so yeah, Bellinger 10th round. I understand it. Um, 11th round. You finally started to address infield. You went after Gleyber Torres. What what drew you there? Well, so the first thing, which I didn't realize till I was, you know, looking, just just thinking about the players, because I thought that Gleyber Torres qualified at second base. He does. He does. Okay, well, then that's great. Yeah, um, you're, you're all set. Don't worry. 19 games at second base last year uh, for Gleyber Torres, and that was with uh, two, 19 all starts for Gleyber Torres as well. Yeah, but I I mean, I know that it was a really bad year. Some people said he, you know, he kind of lacks hustle and all of that. But I still think that he did have some bad luck playing into it. I mean, you know, he did only have nine homers, but he stole 14 bases. Uh, Steamer, well, before I even get to that, he uh, had a 417x slug. And, you know, his, his expected batting average of 261 was you know, right in line with his, his career. So I really think maybe it was, some of it was just bad luck. Um, and I think that, you know, I trust guys with good contact rates. I know that, you know, Saris has also said the same with regarding Glaber, you know, he could pretty easily hit 260 with 30 home runs and 10 to 15 stolen bases. If the power comes back, the big question is, well, we just had a whole season where it wasn't back. So what's going to happen with it with Glaber? I don't really know, but again, I'm. this is another time where I'm just banking on him turning 25, having done it before, that he can just make some adjustment in the offseason and make it happen. I know LeMahieu was taken a few rounds earlier, and I'm like, LeMahieu had a pretty bad season as well. I mean, so I'm just like, why not bet on a rebound from the, the younger player? That makes sense. Uh, 7% home over fly ball rate for Gleyber Torres this year. Yeah, playing half really his games bad. in Yankee Stadium. And 
a 36% fly ball rate too. So typically, actually, when you see a lower fly ball rate or, or super high one, it depresses the home run fly ball rate, right? Not the case even. And that would explain the nine home runs and under 27 games for Gleyber Torres. It's, ugh. I, I, it does make me want to jump back in. And it doesn't, there isn't a sense that the Yankees aren't going to continue relying on Torres, right? I mean, there, there, there are some questions to be had here, right? Because there's a lot of talk about the Yankees getting an athletic shortstop. So Correa, Trevor Story, Corey Seager, these are free agent shortstops for the Yankees that one of them is kind of expected to join that lineup, which then means, okay, Glaber Torres, you're not playing shortstop. That means you could be playing second and LeMahieu is still there. Um, is he playing third? Is he playing first? Is he playing second? You know, there are some things to mess around with this infield, and I have to think some deal is happening, and that could include Gleyber Torres. Um, it, I'm, not, I'm just throwing it out there. We don't really know what the situation will be and how much faith the Yankees will have in Torres getting these opportunities next year. That that is something that I think the 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 draft positioning or the ADP of Torres is going to be affected or uh, manipulated by this um, come draft season. So I don't know. Um, I am with you that you have a guy who still sold 14 bases, um, so speed is still a thing. And actually, it's more of a thing than we thought it would be, considering the 38 home runs and just five stolen bases in 2019. 38 home runs, yet unreal. Um, you, you, you do have a 25, 10 at the very least in there. Uh, and we do wonder, is this going to be the one where he really explodes? Because, yeah, he shouldn't be performing at this low of a level. So, I, again, it goes back to the Bellinger thing. I Second base, this is essentially what you're shooting for here. And it's not very good, the 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 like the field for second base. I Yeah, you kind of had to rely on this one because, I mean, you do get another second baseman later, maybe doubling up on it. But are you looking at this now and thinking, okay, you know what? I think I'm going to try and chase the second baseman earlier. Or do you feel okay with the strategy of kind of waiting on them here? This was actually one, I mean, even with everything, when I really looked at how the draft played out, I really wish that I just waited to see how the chips fall at second base. Because I think once you get past those top names, I'm really mad that I didn't get... Muncy, because I oh, think yeah. he's That's yeah. such a good pick. Yeah, such but after pick. those top guys, it's really, I mean, like Cronenworth, even Eduardo Escobar, a lot of those guys who are like really pretty solid in Arias, they're all available later on. I think mm-hmm. I, and some other positions like third base, you know, the table drops off really quickly. So right. I think if I could do it again, I'd probably try to shore up some other positions and wait later on second base if I didn't sure. get the top guys. And if uh, Will Smith or Grandal were here, which they weren't, they were taken between the Bellinger and Torres picks, would you have taken one of them? Yeah, I, I actually I thought Grandal was still available. And I put <laughs> it in and I'm like, no. Yeah, <laughs> so. that was uh, yeah, that, that was not fun. All right, let's move on to the 12th round. It's Nathan Ivaldi. And you had to get another Red Sox in here. Actually, this is your first one. So it's it's not Wakefield. But yeah. <laughs> it's it's Nathan Evaldi. That's an old joke from college. Um, talk to me about Nathan Evaldi. I mean, a lot of hype, I think, in discussion in the the postseason. 370 array, 117 whip, and a 26% strikeout rate. Do you see more of the same across 180 innings? I mean, you know, it's... Uh, I don't like to think of the injuries, but it's hard not to with the Evaldi in his history. You know, it's the thing that should not be named for uh, <laughs> Evaldi Mort. <laughs> 
Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> They're just getting going to get worse. Oh, no. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> but, this, you know, the thing that I like with Ivaldi is, you know, he started the – when he entered the league as just like a fastball pitcher, but now like the stuff has really started to improve around his fastball. And, you know, he proved that he could stay healthy this season. The slider took a big step forward. I mean, he now has thir- or three secondaries with a 16% swinging strike rate, uh, over 30% O swing and 40% zone with the curveball, the slider and the split finger. So he doesn't, you know, that splitter is ne- like, uh, it's great that he has it, but he doesn't have to rely on it. Uh, you know, and none of those are money pitches, but maybe like Canadian money pitches. Uh, but I, I still just uh, really like him in the cutter. You know, it's I think when he relied on it heavily, it he got really punished on it. But having it now kind of more as in the back pocket, it got a 40 percent O swing. And he could he actually got the most strikes with that with a 72 percent zone. So I think he kind of found a, a role for the cutter where it's more useful. So I think with that total package, I mean, I, I think he can have another season with a really good strikeout rate, and it really just all comes down to health. 80% strike rate for Eovaldi's cutter. That's absurd. That that is That is really just absolutely nuts. You do not see 80% marks at all. This is a pitch thrown 12% of the time. And just a 14% called strike rate on it, despite 80% strike rate is is wild uh 66 swing rate on it um and a, a good amount of zone contact but fortunately for him it was just a 254 batting average allowed and it was fine but yeah this was a pitch that he like, said no i'm gonna attack when i need a strike and you're just gonna have to do something with it um but yeah the main story is that curveball i mean i didn't buy into it after 2020 having a 41 percent csw what did he do evaldi had Another 41% CSW season with that curveball, especially in that second half. It really came through for him. And he's still pumping 97 constantly. Uh, it, it's a nice mix. It's uh, The only question is when he doesn't have a curveball going, it's not really great with the slider, splitter, cutter. Uh, but, I, I mean, I th- you see a 370 ERA for Ivaldi, and you kind of feel like it should be better. Um, but then it's 117 whip, and I think it's just... There isn't some innate volatility with Ivaldi with uh, getting all the results he wants across each of these pitches. And sometimes it feels like a kitchen sink approach that isn't quite what you want. I think I want more curveballs and I want um, the rare cutter or slider to get some strikes and then dominate up with heaters, you know. But you mentioned the health and that's something that we really need to take into consideration. I'll say 12th round kind of does a bit. Yeah, I feel uh, like it's baked in. Right. It's so, I mean, this is where you'll likely see Evaldi. I've actually been considering pushing him up a little bit from my earlier ranks, which have him right inside the top 50. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that I'm going to be chasing it. Cause I don't really expect the 26% K rate to stick around again. Um, I don't expect a whip higher than 110. I don't expect a three ERA. And generally if I'm going after a guy after the 12th round or so, I mean, I, you know what? I should say this differently. When I draft pitchers, especially in 12 teamers, I, I know that people are going to call me crazy, uh, and they call me crazy all the time, and that's fine. It's You're my crazy, podcast, Nick. dang it. <laughs> no, is, is that essentially every pitcher you have should have the potential, for the most part, of being a top three starter for your team. I mean, really like a top 20 ceiling of it. Um, and I think that you can actually do that in 12-teamers a ton. Uh, Evaldi, to me, I think is a little bit more capped as far as how high he can rise 
Um, obviously, you're going to have like Tobies at the back of your rotation and some guys who, hey, I'm just here for like the first couple of weeks and that's fine. But you want to be chasing that top 30 potential all the time, top 20, because um, there's no reason kind of not to because then it's, you know, if it doesn't work out for that guy and he's not a top 30 guy, then he becomes like a real detriment. Um, so Eovaldi is a little bit farther back because I just don't quite see him taking yet another step forward. But uh, yeah, 12th round. I mean, I can't really argue with this. This is your fourth starter. You probably aren't going to drop Evaldi all year. He's inside that core for me. Of You should be fine with that. So I'm cool with it. It gets a thumbs up, <laughs> not a seal. All right, but, a thumb of approval. Yeah, you know, thumb approval. Okay, I uh, Jared Walsh, 13th round. We talked about you pairing up with a another first baseman. And Jared Walsh, I mean, first half Jared Walsh was remarkable to say the least. Uh, end of the year, 29 home runs, 70 runs, 98 RBI, and so 277 close. average. I mean, that's really good. And that's from the 13th spot, but it came out of nowhere. I mean, not to say, well, not to say nowhere. He had a productive 2020 season, but it was only 32 games. We didn't really put much stock into it from Walsh, and it just kind of carried over. It is a 26% K rate, though. Are, are, are we thinking we're going to see a massive step back this year for Walsh or is it just going to be more of the same? So I actually think it's going to be more of the same. I was actually pretty bullish on him because his small sample in 2020 was so good, but I actually didn't get a lot of shares of him uh, when it came to rostering players. I usually went for CJ Crone and choosing between them was like real. I probably took like an hour just being like, Cause I really wanted Crone cause I just love Crone. I've had him to my bold predictions like for multiple years, including saying last year that he would out hit Nolan Arenado, which came pretty close depending on, you know, how you judge it. But anyway, back to Walsh, uh, you know, yeah, he was such a monster this, the first half of the year. And, you know, I think he, being a rookie, you know, well, at least in the sense of playing his first full season, maybe he just like tired out like lots of players do but I think he definitely showed he belongs. He hits the ball with authority. Uh, I mean, he had a 140 WRC plus in the first half. So I think maybe with another season and again, similar to Otani, uh, just having the support around him and hitting in the middle of the lineup, I don't see why he can't hit 30 to 35 home runs with another 270 batting average. I mean, I, I really, when I looked at the profile, there was nothing that seemed especially concerning. And I think he'll also get the reason why I picked him over Crone in the end was that I just trust more in the volume because he can play first base and outfield where Crone is, you know, more defensively limited. Sure. Um, so uh, there are two things that I do want to mention about Walsh. The first thing is what you were mentioning about the lineup for the Angels. And just looking at roster resource right now, again, this is the end of October. Shoei Otani leading off, Mike Trout second, Gerald Walsh third, and Rendon fourth. I mean, that is, if that actually is how it plays out for Walsh, that's awesome. However, there's one element that they're highlighting that I do want to really focus on. And they say that Walsh is a platoon that is against lefties that the Angels might consider not playing him. And why is that? Well, Jared Walsh against lefties had a 170 average last year, while 333 against righties. And that kind of is a little bad. <laughs> Not ideal for what you want. There's potential for t- to say, put in uh, Justin Upton uh, in that time instead uh, than Walsh. But 
I, I don't I don't know how this is going to play out for the Angels. I hope this is just a younger guy that will needs to figure that out and he'll make the adjustments. Um, but yeah, if he's inside of that Angels lineup, I mean that's triple production. The runs will go up past seventy. If Walsh is indeed batting third for the Angels, my lord, that would be so good. Um, I do have those worries about the the striker rate being twenty six percent, but it is only eleven percent swing strike rate. Something so dramatic that I think can't improve over time. And uh, the walk rate is going to have to probably get better. 8% walk rate currently. It's, I mean, he's going to be pitched to maybe because of Trout and Otani and Radon and such. But, you know, you hope that that continues to rise. And it did rise from about 5% last year in 2020 for Walsh. So, yeah, Jared Walsh is someone that I think is getting a little ignored. Um, I think highlights to me why I should not have picked Freddie Freeman second or in yeah, my second round because Walsh, Belt, Crone. Um, are all very serviceable options at first base that you likely won't really want to replace in season. I'm sure there is some risk that they could fall off. Brandon Belt had a great season, but maybe not. Walsh could really get do poorly against lefties, and that could be his Achilles heel, crone, health, all that fun stuff. But yeah, Walsh, 13th round, sounds cool to me. It's not a seal of approval because of those concerns, but uh, he's certainly someone that I'm going to be considering and trust a bit. Um, yeah, to be some nice power later on. And you, I will say for your credit, you said, look, I'm going to get Marte and Anderson and, and I'm going to rely on finding more power later on. Walsh is part of that. And so is the 14th round pick. Who's Josh Donaldson? 26 home runs last year. Are we going to get another 25, 30 home run season? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think we're going to have a 35 homer season. There it is. Oh, yeah. wow. I mean, okay. Tatis, Otani, Donaldson, Judge, Sal Perez. That's Barrels per plate appearance leaderboard. He was number mm. three. I mean, wow. and you know, yeah. And I think people really are discounting the fact that he was a barrel machine. I mean, when you look at his Statcast page, yet he was awesome. At 115 mile an hour max exit velocity, 53% hard rate, hard hit rate. That's a career best. You know, his his barrel rate was fantastic with 11% uh, per plate appearance. So, and I think also his K rate was down. Usually you'd expect an older guy, well, he's selling out for power, but no, his 21% K rate was actually lower than in previous years. I mean, when you look at him and Nelson Cruz, like Donaldson's stat cast profile actually looks better, which is How crazy. dare you? How dare you? I went Bring there. Down my boy. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> You know, and his 260, even though his batting average was bad, you know, he had a 266 expected batting average, 533 expected slug. I just think that, you know, he there's always the concerns about the calf, but I think that's more than baked into the price. And I, I really think he's not getting the love he deserves for his barrel barrel rate. But I think he can really be a monster next year. And I think uh, despite base, fantasy baseball is a little ageist, but if you just look at the production... I think you'll do well taking a bet on him this late. I can't believe I'm going to do this. Um, I think what you're trying to say is those that are scared of the calf injury will say, well, don't have a cow, man. Um, 135 games last year, uh, 20, uh, 26 home runs for Donaldson, 247 average. He's going to be in the middle of that Twins lineup, which I got to say, I think even without uh, Nelson Cruz, um, still has Luis Arias. Uh, average guy there, of course, Byron Buxton. We all know what he does when he's healthy. Hori Polanco had an amazing season. Then it's Donaldson at fourth. 
Then you have guys that could be Max Kepler or Mitch Garver or Miguel Sano, Alex Kirilov, who could be you know, taking off, uh, Trevor Larnack as well. Like, there are a lot of guys to surround Donaldson with, too. Um, and that Twins lineup could still be really fun, even with Cruz not actually being present anymore. Uh, it's a fun lineup. I, I think Donaldson, if you want to, I mean, th- this is such a great 14th round pick. It's a seal of approval for me because you're getting, <laughs> you're getting like when he plays. Yeah, he's going to crush the ball and give you runs in RBI production. Sure. Average is the biggest question. You're likely not going to get better than a 250. It's just the nature of it. Still, if the strikeout rate is still okay and the walk rates are still high, the OBP became 352, which means he gets on base a lot, which means you still get runs. Uh, yeah, 14th round, is we talked about that cliff happening for hitters. You should feel very, very good if you need like as a discount third base option. Because honestly, if you go into this draft, you didn't get a third baseman. This is your third baseman, and you're like, oh, phew. I got, I got it. All right. If I know I'm going to get Josh Donaldson 14th round every time, I am not taking a third baseman. It's just that simple. Then you have to take Jose Ramirez. You're like, what do I do? But no, uh, it's uh, then fine. That's your util, whatever. Aim for Donaldson in the 14th round. Seal of approval there. Um, I'm so sorry for that have a cow joke. Uh, 15th round is Jake Cronenworth. As you, you know, as I hinted before, you decide to get a little bit more depth and more options. Uh, Cronenworth entering the season, we didn't quite know what kind of playing time we'd see. But, of course, then we had the shortstop issues with with Tatis. And then he played some second base a lot, 94 games there. He even had 24 at first base. Cronenworth, 21 home runs, 266 average, 94 runs for the Padres, 71 RBI and four stolen bases. Do you think he gets regular playing time again in 2022? I think he does. I mean, he was an all-star, even though he, he did fall off in the uh, the second half, there was a, a finger injury that sort of played into his uh, rough September. And I mean, I just, when you look at his whole profile, everything looks really good. I mean, he doesn't hit the ball so hard, but he does have great plate discipline with a 9% walk rate and 14% K rate. I think the speed still can, he only had four stolen bases with his 21 homers, but he still has like 85 percentile sprint speed and stole a lot of bases in the minors. So I think that, there's still a chance that that comes out to at least be double digit. And, you know, I, I do think he'll hit for, he could be a good table setter, like number two hitter type with like a 290 average with 25 homers, 10 stolen bases in a perfect world. Not the highest ceiling. He's kind of more of an oatmeal guy, but with the multi-position eligibility, I, I definitely think that they're going to have him play just about every day, even if it's switching around positions to give other guys rest. I mean, you, you just called him an oatmeal guy. I want you to explain that. <laughs> yeah i i think really i i think when i think oatmeal it's just like he's it's uh it's f- fulfilling it's nutritious but it's just not he's not exciting in the same whoa, way whoa, whoa, whoa ben ben have you had uh, overnight oats okay you can <laughs> oatmeal in the morning can be the best meal of your day if you do it right all right do not oatmeal is wonderful Let's let's just let's just move past that. Oh man, and this is how the breakfast wars begun. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, and a twelve percent homer fly ball rate last year for Jake Cronenworth, um, and that's something that could improve. I, I think that's if I, I'm pointing at one thing that says, hey, this is where I expect more. Um, it's that number, and it's not an impressive one at all. I fourteen percent strikeout rate is great. Nine percent walk rate. I'll take that. 
uh, 21 homers despite the low uh, homer fly ball rate just because 643 plate appearances, that's what will happen. Uh, you know, th- this is a young guy as well, and you've really, uh, well, youngish, uh, 28 year old next year. Yeah, I thought he was um, younger, to be honest. Yeah, well, it's only his second season, um, is why we, uh, we both thought that. But it's the same idea of we, we got to recognize that you have more time for development, and we do have to chase a little bit that, yeah, there is improvement going to come. Um, and take those opportunities. And he, hey, even if it's 94 runs again and 21 home runs, it's not the worst thing ever. I Roster Resource currently has Cronenworth as the third in that lineup, which I don't know if is going to stick currently with Adam Frazier, Tatis Jr., uh, Cronenworth, Machado, Hosmer, Will Myers, Trent Grisham, and Austin Nola. I don't know if, no, if Cronenworth stays at number three. If that's the case, I mean, this is an incredible pick um, just because of the opportunities he'll get there. Uh, it could shift around. Maybe Frazier isn't leadoff. Maybe uh, Cronenworth falls to five. I don't know. Definitely monitor that situation. And I, I, I would be looking at that a lot with Jake Cronenworth uh, entering the season. That could definitely boost him up and make this 15-round pick look great. Um, 16th round, because we might go a little bit long on this podcast. I, there it is. <laughs> I forget sometimes. I forgot in the live episode, and I was mortified. Um, in in Arizona, um, like that's the one thing everyone's waiting for me to say, and I didn't say it. Unreal. Uh, Sixto Sanchez, and I was really upset. You sniped me. This is, I think, the most sniped pick you gave you did for me. Cause I was, I remember being there, like, ha 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 ha. These fools, they forgot about Sixto in the sixteenth round, where all you want is upside, and ha ha. And he took Sixto from me. How dare you? I uh, are you excited about voice. this pick? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited, and I'm not gonna lie. I sense a, my spidey sense was tingling. That I was like, <laughs> I think Nick wants six though, and and you know, How dare you? I I prefer my nickname for him, Polydactyl. Polydactyl's great because six toes. Oh, yeah. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> that's a really good nickname. Thanks. And you know, I think he's he, a lot of people will forget about him because you know, just because he didn't pitch, even though he's. So impressive. I mean, with his high octane fastball and, you know, two nasty secondaries that he can command. I mean, I think that's really all you need to know. There's nothing from last year so much to look at, but we just know what the upside is. And I think this late, like you were saying earlier, you really want to go for someone who has that ability to be a pitcher that could be, you know, in 2022, well, actually 2023, you know, talked about in like the top three rounds and i think that right. he has that ability yeah um so yes i do think and i'm risking a pokemon joke here that ss can i uh, become something oh. special uh <laughs> but no it's uh, with with six though you're going to look at the fan graphs page and say oh the 21 percent strikeout rate a 121 whip why do we care so much about six sanchez um, and the reason is because he throws absurdly hard, 98 mile per hour four seamer um, on average. And I will say a sinker they use a lot, way worse than the four seamer. We've actually seen Marlins pitchers lean more on four seamers and have more success. And I think that shift is coming and it will come with six though as well. The changeup has its moments. Uh, it, it didn't get as many whiffs as I expected, but when that pitch was working, 17% swing strike rate is fantastic. 75% strike rate on the pitch in 2020 for Sixto and the slider 
well, there was a mistake that he threw a couple times, and it really bothered me that it was a mistake because it was the perfect placement for it. He wasn't trying to go down and into a lefty, but he didn't have success with it, but it was just a 12% swing strike rate for that slider. However, 23% called strike rate, so he was getting a 69% strike rate, actually just under that, a 68.6% strike rate um, uh, for the for the slider for Sixto Sanchez. So there is those three pitches themselves make him... A, a a possible elite starter. The biggest question is what are the Marlins going to do with that rotation? Uh, we, we, we joke that, oh, they should trade a starter for a hitter. That's what they did already. They did that with Zach Gallen for Jazz Chisholm. It's hard to strike twice on that effectively. They actually traded away a hitter for another pitcher. Well, it was a rental in Marte to get uh, Luzardo. But that rotation, I mean, right now, it's it's <laughs> there are a lot of amazing pitchers that should get their time. Uh, obviously, we're talking about Sandy Alcantara. We're talking about uh, Trevor Rogers and Pablo Lopez and Jesus Lazardo and Eliezer Hernandez. And then there's Sixto Sanchez. And then there's Max Meyer. Then there's Edward Cabrera as well. And you got to wonder, how are they going to treat Sixto next year? So there's any hesitation that I have about Sixto Sanchez for next year is he might be not be starting out of the gate. This might be something where they say, okay, you had your shoulder issues and you had a lost season of 2021. Uh, let's, there will be an opening. Don't worry, Six. So something will happen. And then we want to ease you into it. Make sure you don't throw too many innings in 2022. And that might make me come draft season not chasing Six, though, because he might not actually have this place. They might just say, no, we want Luzardo, Hernandez, Pablo, Trevor, and Sandy, and that's that. So that's the only thing to keep in mind with Sixto entering uh, draft season. But yeah, I was upset because this guy legitimately top 30 talent. Oh, well, thank you. Glad oh, that yeah. I could uh, get you to go into your villain voice. Yeah, the villain voice. I say that all the time, of course, as I cackle here all day. Uh, 17th round. It's Adam Duvall. And he's, he might be getting some playoff taxes. He, uh, as he's currently in the World Series. By the time you listen to it, you know the entire story of it. We have no idea what it's going to be. But he has two home runs this postseason um, and uh, 38 home runs in the entirety of 2021 with 113 RBI, but just 67 runs and a 228 average. Oh, no. What do you see next year for Adam Duvall? I mean, I just think that he's a power god. He's in Duvall Hala. And. <laughs> I was really hoping I took a to sip get a of spit water. <laughs> I th- oh yes. man! Yes, I did it. Oh, that's so good, dude! Valhalla, wow! But, All right, but really, you please. Oh, I so mean, good. when you look at like where Gallo <laughs> is going, I mean, I think that for a while, no one really trusted Duval's power because it wasn't really backed by like a barrel rate. And now I think he's he, he had a sixteen percent barrel rate, hundred and fourteen mile an hour max EV. So, so his average is probably, he, he doesn't draw a lot of walks and I get that he's probably never going to hit better than 230, but I mean, 38 homers and five stolen bases and just 513 at bats with just really good uh, run production too. I just, I think that this is like a new, he's kind of reached this new level and is going to keep being a, a late game power monster for the, you know, at round 17, I'm all over this, especially because I, you know, really wanted to shore up my power and he was the perfect guy to do it. It's kind of funny. I took AJ Pollock with the previous pick. Then you took Duvall. I was like, oh, yeah, I should probably should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that. That's how I thought. I mean, it, it's it's up to you as a player. Um, 
it doesn't seem like the power is out of nowhere. The same home run fly ball rates the past three seasons uh, as the, the fly balls have actually fallen to 53%. He's going to crush 30-plus home runs, Adam Duvall. As long as he's on the field, that's just what you're going to get. Uh, where he's used in the Atlanta lineup is is one question that we don't know yet as he's, a, he's on the team for another year. Um, but he should likely be around four, five, something like that. As, of course, you have Freeman and Acuna uh, ahead, um, probably Albies as well. Um, and that that's great. That's wonderful. You just have to craft your team four. It's the same thing with Joey Gallo. I think Joey Gallo does have, you know, there's still some hope that he can become like a 250, 260 guy in, in some way. Um, I had and, that hope once. Yeah, I'm right. I was and young I, and innocent. <laughs> I feel with with Duval considering the extremity of his fly balls, I uh, and always sub thirty percent ground ball rate and a thirty one percent strikeout rate last year. Yeah, he's probably not going to give you a two fifty or two forty, right? You just have to plan your team around this. Uh, but seventeenth round to be able to get that kind of production, yeah, seal of approval. You got one. I just give him for all hitters right. all the time. It's just what I do, right? But uh, you get you get one for Duval. Uh, I almost gave it for a six, though, but the fact that we don't know if he's going to be actually starting or not, and this could be a drop before the season starts. I, but then again, I, I took Kopech in the 13th. You get one for six, though, too. Oh, Fine. Right, a delayed one. Yeah, I should have given one there, too. Um, I got to be consistent and fair. You don't get any more, though. Okay. Actually, you, you, actually, you get <laughs> one thought... more. Dang it. You get All one right. more. You get one more. All right. I... Adam Duvall, that 17th round, definitely should be someone like, yeah, this is, you get production out of the 17th round picks. That's cool. 18th round is Dalton Varsho. And we were playing catcher chicken. You, me, and uh, and Steve Giswelli. Uh, And you decide, okay, you know what? I'm not going to wait until the last round. I want to get my guy, and that's Dalton Varsho. Why Varsho? I mean, I think Varsho was, you were talking earlier about a tale of two halves, and I think that was really the case with him. Uh, you know, in the first 96 plate appearances in the first half, he was hitting just 143 with one homer. He was lost out there, but he's also getting like jerked around. But then they gave him some more run and in the second half. He hit 290 with 10 home runs and five stolen bases and just 219 at bats. And I, you know, I really think that he, he had a good barrel rate over that span. I really think that uh, he can be like a hit 270, 260, 270 with, 20 homers and 10 stolen bases. And I think there's even been some auction calculators that found that he could be the number one catcher next year. I think the stolen bases really, you know, kind of give him a leg up and uh, it's not hard to imagine him being pretty close to JT real Muto production if he can play full time. But I think that since he's, I think he's going to play enough games to qualify a catcher, but with Carson Kelly there, I think he's going to play more games at outfield and I think he'll get enough run there to play. Man, so yeah, uh, 41 total games at catcher, 37 started uh, for Varsho, and then 54 games and 36 started in the outfield. Yeah, this is this is something to heavily consider if you're just looking for plate appearances. Uh, yeah, 20 home runs and 10 stolen bases could be in the cards here uh, with runs RBI that don't hurt you and a decent average. Um, Varsho should be on your list of, okay, I miss out on Contreras or Grandal and Smith because Contreras is going to get more DH time. Maybe Varsho gets some of that. Um, definitely on your list. 18th round, I think sounds about right with Varsho. I mean, there is certainly a, a risk of like this. He just doesn't play that much and he's not very productive and that's that. Uh, the upside, as you mentioned, is the real Muto situation. Um, but who knows? 
I mean, I remember Chris Wells shouting about Dalton Varsho in the blind co-manager draft. And maybe uh, maybe that yelling is look back so silly. And we'll, I have no idea. Uh, but uh, yeah, maybe this does work out. Was he Varshoting? He no. was Varshoting. <laughs> I was like, don't sure. do it. <laughs> Yeah, I I think the best buns. I I would not be surprised, though, if by draft season, I I would expect Varsho to get pushed up a lot and be talked in like the top five catchers. I just think he has that combination of youth and like the all around upside that he just strikes me as kind of one of those players that's going to get a lot of helium. But so I, I could give you a seal of approval. I'm not going to do it. I'm I'm holding back now. We're going to get the CQ cumber of. Eh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> sure. I uh, Luis Batino uh, was your next pick. And if you want to talk about upside guys, of course, Batino has been talked about for a while when he was with San Diego. And then, of course, got on that trade uh, to the Rays in the Emilio Pagan deal. Uh, I think that's the one it was. I I could be wrong. I don't know why my sounds right is. to me. Yeah, sure. He is now on the race. <laughs> so uh, he has been for the season and it wasn't quite the season I expected from Patino as his four seamer was a lot more dominant than the slider. The slider never really took shape to me. Just a 26% CSW. But what do you, yeah, what, do you think that the Rays are going to use him a lot? What, what drew you to take Patino over some other upside guys you could have chased? I mean, I guess it's, yeah, I wanted to chase some upside here because I felt like I didn't, with my other starters, they were all good, but I felt like, you know, Patino, I think a lot of people are kind of starting to really discount him and it picked 224. He's still, I think he still has ace potential. He's still going to be just 22 years old. This year, it was really just the fastball and everything else was kind of disappointing, but it was a small sample and he did a lot better in his limited time in the minors and I guess I just think he tried, you know, he was trying things out. He tried a curveball, which was bad. You know, when he started last year, he was, his problem was control. He really was walking too many. And at least this year, you know, he improved his walk rate. So he's, he's figuring things out. And I think for someone who's 21 to have a, you know, a mid four ERA and to basically not get demolished, I think it's, uh, it's impressive. And I like to bet on those youngsters. So uh, I guess we'll see, but I just think the Rays are going to find, even if he's not starting, maybe he could be like a piggyback starter and vulture a lot of wins that way. I think he's going to get used a lot more now that he's shown that he can, he can be an impressive pitcher. Absolutely. Um, yeah, he's, I mean, he's an extreme fly baller a bit with his, uh, with his four seamer. Um, but I, I, I hope that, you know, the home run problem doesn't stick around 1.4. That's part of the reason why. Uh, he doesn't get too many ground balls, like a 31% ground ball rate versus the 49% fly ball rate, which I'm okay with. Um, it's just about you know keeping the ball in the yard as much as you can or you try to keep that home run rate down to like one or one two and then really you know take advantage of the fact that it's a low Babbitt because of a 265 this past year. Um, for me with Patino, once that slider truly takes off is when we will see good things from him. The, uh, the four-seamer is 95-96. Um, has a ton of potential, uh, just under 70% strike rate. Um, it, it's just the slider, yeah. 16% swing strike rate isn't it. It isn't the pitch yet that he needs to pair it with. And a lot of times while I was watching him this year, Bettino wasn't quite locked in um, with the two of them that prevented him from being like how Shane Baz was. Um, so, Shane Baz, I should say. 
Uh, and I hope he does. And it's about also the Rays. How are they going to use him? Are they going to allow him to go more than five innings? This is just what we've seen from young starters with them is they don't really trust them to go deep into games constantly. And especially if Patino doesn't have the secondary stuff that is quite locked in, we might be seeing a little bit of pain there too. Uh, so he's fun. He's someone that, you know, Patino has a fastball slider working. And it's weird normally when I say that the slider is the pitch that becomes like the 40 to 50% usage. And that becomes the pitch. But really, it's, nope, 60% fastballs are going to be there. Definitely. Uh, for, for Patino, because that's the better pitch. Uh, hopefully, that can take another step this year. And, I mean, certainly can. The Rays are going to need him. They don't have anyone else in that, in that rotation. Uh, so, we'll see how that goes. But this could be something in April that... I doesn't quite work out yet. And uh, there are a lot of these young guys, I think, that I'm excited for the year, but I'm not excited for their Aprils. Uh, Patino is one. Tristan McKenzie is another. Uh, Edward Alzale is in there. Eliezer Hernandez. Um, maybe I, I, I just listed, I think, like all of Steve Giswelli's guys. <laughs> but I, I, there, there are a couple of those that are just... All right, you're going to take some time. Daniel Lynch, I'm excited about, but need some time. Your pick later on, Callum Muller. That there, I see the potential over time from them, but when it comes to drafting, I likely will be going away from it because I'm all about knowing the answer early. And if they're not performing well in other teams and 12 teamers, they won't last on those teams. So then you can maybe get them in in May or June when they are clicking and starting more often and going deeper into games. Um, and that, that's just kind of my thought process with it. Patino could be one that I find myself not really chasing because of those reasons. 20th round is Jonathan Loisica. This is actually kind of an interesting one. Uh, are, are you seeing this from like, I just want to stud my middle reliever? Or are you seeing this like, no, I think he has a chance to get saves. Uh, walk me through this. So I do think he has a chance to get saves. I mean, I really benefited from noticing early on this year that he was just really unhittable and all this. He was like blood red and all the stat cast everything and he stayed that way you know 99th percentile in xwoba average exit velocity hard hit percentage expected era his fastball velocity is up to 98 miles an hour now that chapman's is you know declined a little bit it's 99 and i, I think that he has a good chance of uh taking over the closer role at least at some point during the season in uh 2022 uh, I mean, Chapman, he really showed some, there were times when they were talking about him losing the role and he outperformed. He, you know, he's going to be 34 Chapman is with a, and he had a 387 uh, expected ERA, which is a lot worse than uh, Loisica who, you know, had a 217 ERA and that was uh, validated with StatCast. I think his, like he's throwing the ball harder than ever. He also like his changeup was a total money pitch. He has a sinker that, gets a lot, has a 36% O swing, which is what you want to see. So I, I think he's just going to be a lot better at keeping the ball in the yard and being a lot more of a low stress closer if he gets that chance. But even if not, I mean, he's he's not a big strikeout guy with like 69 Ks and 70 innings, but he's if he's not, he's going to vulture wins. He's going to have great peripherals and it's, it's going to help your team. I noticed like a lot of teams were kind of taking chances at this point in the draft on, you know, drafting skills, not roles as far as relievers go. And I think that I got probably the one of the best non-closing relievers in the Lysica, but I think he really does have a chance at overtaking Chapman. So this is something startling uh, about Lysica to me, and I think this can actually 
really affect him uh, moving forward is uh, his sinker. Uh, he threw about a 600 times last year. Um, comes in kind of hard. Well, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, 95 <laughs> is the minimum, but really 98 for the year. A 101 has been apparently been clocked with the Weiska sinker, which is crazy. No, 98, 99 is this pitch. It has a 36% O swing. That is so good. Uh, I, I talk about sinkers, and I generally want to see. Thir- I mean, I, I look forward to pitchers pitches that have thirty percent. If it's above a twenty five percent O swing, I'm like, okay, good job. You're using it right because with a sinker, you're essentially trying to get two types of swings: one where it starts low and ends down underneath it, and then you get a lot of ground balls. Sixty eight percent ground ball rate for Lewiska sinker this year. Only sixteen percent fly balls, which is crazy. Uh, and also, you want to make it so that it starts inside and goes off the plate. Um, insider, <laughs> more inside to uh, to to right-handers, right? And Lewiska doing that 36% of the time is great, but that's only when it's out of the zone because he threw a 61% zone rate sinker, and that's too high. Uh, I think this can actually be something that he adjusts a little bit. Like, I think there's more to tweak here by emphasizing that. I know actually went the other way in 2020. He didn't have as many as good results, but I do believe that he can really take another step doing that. Uh, 252 batting average allowed last year. I think that can go even further down on that sinker if he does embrace the O swing a, a little bit more um, than he did this past year on it. But, I mean, the curveball, 21% swing strike rate. Changeup, 22% swing strike rate. Those are good things. I uh, It's surprising to me. I mean, the curveball on all these metrics said 34% CSW is great. 114 batting average allowed is great. 23% usage. That sounds great. This all sounds wonderful, but it was just a 57% strike rate. And I do wonder if he's has a few too many waste pitches also with that curveball that can make it so that he has a 24% strike rate that turns into 30, 35%. He gets a little bit more effective with getting that around the zone and and actually for a strike only 13% called strike rate on a curveball for a pitch that moves a ton especially when you throw it at 87 and change and then that's a big difference from the 99 that you're throwing so a lot of guys waiting on the fastball which you get jelly legs and let that pitch come in more so there is there are these like little adjustments I think that Loisica can make that takes his elite stuff I mean we're talking absolutely elite to another level um, that said I I I don't know if I'd be chasing this in my 12 teamers because I mean you are making a bet saying look Chapman I think he's on the way out and I'd rather stash the Westgate now and say like this is the future closer of the Yankees. Um that's a interesting guess to make. Last four picks, who cares? <laughs> I'm all, I don't I have no no qualm against that. Um you can also make a case like well, like I want some relievers too, those help. And again, no no issues with that. I would want to wait until Lewiska takes that step to be a 35% strikeout guy first. Because it, it, these are, the, I've talked a little bit about hypotheticals about what he could do. Um, but I. It's wish casting a, a little right. bit, I guess. Yeah. 24% strikeout rate. He hasn't, doesn't have the closer spot yet. There's no need, in my view, to go and get this. There'll be a lot of stud relievers to talk about and find in April. Just read Rick Graham's columns. That's all you need to do. Uh, and I personally would go after something else instead because of that. Okay, that's fair. Um, but man, I love him. I remember when he was a starter, I was like, "This he's better than Herman, and Herman got the opportunities. It's like, fine. 
but uh, yes, his stuff is so good. The Weiss goes. Um, all right, twenty first round. I, I'm jealous. I took Chris Paddock because I I had put other names that apparently had been already taken, <laughs> and I was I was getting on my flight and I I didn't really get the chance to really look at the board a ton, so I took Chris Paddock and then you took the guy I should have taken, who's Anthony Descafani. And that's a seal of approval already. 21st round, Anthony Descafani. For a guy that, I mean, he's not someone I'm going to be chasing, but he should help you next year. You shouldn't be, he's just above a Toby, should have a strike every between 20 and 25%, should have a whip around 120 or something. I mean, you're going to get innings and, and quality performances from Anthony Descafani. You got him in the 21st round, around where, you know, after this, like Corey Kluber and, you know, Bailey Ober and Daniel Lynch before this, uh, Zach Plesak and Rasmussen and Rasmussen and, and Nestor Cortez. Uh, yeah, you get the Anthony Descafani, guys. Uh, what kind of season do you see for 2022 for uh, Tony Disco? I mean, I think he's going to, he's not going to be as good as he was in 2021. I mean, because that was a, just a great season, 13 and 7 with a 317 ERA. 1.09 whip and 152 Ks. I mean, he's never going to be a big strikeout asset, but I, I think he's pretty reliable at keep having a mid to low threes ERA. Even even if it's high threes, it's he's going to get you some wins. He's going to be reliable. The the slider is great. Uh, you know, I I think it's uh, he's just really solid. It's it's been several seasons where he's just been really good, and I think. Uh, even even pitching in a bit of a band box, I think you can uh, you can just rely on him because he's boring and he's I think he's going to be one of those pitchers that will fall in a lot of drafts because he's you know not one of the seen as a high upside guy, but I think you'll end up getting just really good mileage from him in general. I it mean, and crazy. he yeah, yeah, and he also like he started to fall apart. It seemed like he was falling apart after a strong start, but then in September he had a two twenty five ERA, so it sort of gave gave hope. He had an ERA under four in three of the last four full seasons. So yeah, I think you can kind of set it and forget it with him as a back end of your rotation to kind of stabilize things. The one thing I will mention about uh, about Descafani is from July twenty eighth on, he had just one start above five strikeouts. Now it's six. Um, against Atlanta, so those did fall off a little bit, um, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that he's a that's going to be a major problem. The slider is good enough to to keep those alive, uh, and to some degree. But yeah, it's not the possible seven, eight, nine that we saw earlier on in the season. But the one stat I I think you know with every guy, there's going to be one thing that I'm going to harp on, and I, I can't get this out of my head. I Anthony Descafani was terrible against the Dodgers. I mean, a lot of guys are bad against the Dodgers. Anthony Descafani had to face them one, two, three, four, five, six times. And then also had to face them later on in the playoffs. It was just cruel to me that he had to keep playing against the Dodgers. He had one start against them on May 23rd, where he allowed 10 earned runs in 2.2 innings. If you take that away, which is not fair, you got to include those. But this is a 10-run game that was so... Uh, atrociously different from everything else. Anthony Descafani had a 2.67 ERA. If you thought, you know what? I'm not willing to start Anthony Descafani against the Dodgers. That's that's kind of crazy for a full season. That would have been across 165 innings. And we're not talking like an 80-game sample or something. 165 innings, you take away that one start. I'm even leaving in the other ones where you say, yeah, I'm terrified of Descafani and the Dodgers, uh, which would have been smart of you. 
So there's there's a lot to like about that. Uh, Anthony Descafani's repertoire is, I mean, as I was mentioning before, that slider. 50% zone rate, yet didn't get crushed. 219 batting average allowed with a 32% CSW and a 67% zone rate. 35% thrown. That's great. His fastball was effective enough. He commanded it well. The changeup and curveball are nothing to write home about. That's never really been the story of Anthony Descafani. Eno Saris made a really interesting point um, at, at first pitch Arizona that I do want to think about more, which is where if pitchers have a bad third pitch, just the fact that they have that third pitch helps them go deeper into games and be a little bit more effective, even if it's a mediocre third pitch. Uh, so the fact that there's 18% of Descafani's repertoire that is not exceptional, but he's still featured allows him to go deeper into games and be a little bit more effective. I thought that was very interesting because I talk about just throw one or two. That's it. That's it. Ignore the other stuff. But it does keep batters at bay a little bit more. Um, And it does have the impact even if the results aren't quite that great. So something to think about there. Just like having that mediocrity is okay. Um, But yeah, that's Kavani. 21st round. I mean, I think seal of approval. Good job, Ben. Thank you. (laughs) Last two picks here as we wrap this up. Uh, Kyler Muller was your next one. There's a fun one. Uh, what drew you to Muller? Well, I knew that he was your number 100 player on your, yes. uh, your list, which means I know that you really loved him because that's what you always do with your 100, number it's, 100. He's the intrigue. <laughs> he's the intriguing one is Kyle Muller. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I, I love the team, of course. Well, I don't necessarily love the team situation and not knowing where he's going to fit in the plans. But depending on what happens with Charlie Morton, maybe things will, you know, I, I guess when it comes to pitching, I like to go with the talent first and just hope that the role will play out. But I mean, his slider is a money pitch, at least in the small sample with a 19% swinging strike rate and uh 40% O swing, 52% zone. So that's, that's good to see from a young pitcher. Um, you know, and his fastball is kind of weird because it's has a very good spin rate, 89th percentile, but it didn't do that well. It had a just a 6% swinging strike rate and 16% O swing. I mean, this comes in pretty hard at like 93, 94 miles an hour. Um, and then his curveball, it, that one's uh, pretty decent too. I mean, it had a 19% swinging strike rate. So I think that there's, you have the package here that can succeed you know, he, he wasn't amazing with the 417 ERA. He came on strong and then kind of faded a bit. But I think that if he's given the chance, you know, he'll have a, a season where he'll be pretty solid and maybe it'll take a, a year before he really leaps forward. But I think this late in the draft, I kind of wanted to take the upside of Muller over a lot of like the Tobies and kind of old players hoping for a rebound that were going. So, you know, I think it'll be fun at the very least to follow him. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. You have a slider and curveball that both hint at 20% swing strike rate pitches and a fastball that I think can be good enough as command around the zone. And there you go. You have the, the makeup of a guy who can be legitimately 25% strikeout rates. Uh, the curveball is going to have to take a little bit more of a step. Like the slider, 71% strike rate is really good. Uh, just 50% on the curveball, though, um, as I think he missed a little bit too often with just a 30% O swing and a 20% zone rate on that. Wow, 55%. Zone rate on the slider with a 138 batting average allowed. Oh, that's so good. You throw throw into the zone and they can't do anything. It's like such a great slider from Kyle Muller. But again, 37 innings. So who knows if how much we're going to get of that. He didn't really get to go long in his games. Just five innings a couple times. And that was pretty much it. Um, others were much lower than that. 
one inning, four innings, four innings, 4.2. Um, with Kyle Muller, the problem is that my last pick is probably going to start the season. That is Mike Soroka. And uh, then Wasker Noah, and then Max Freed, and then Ian Anderson, and then Charlie Morton. And they say that the, the fractured fibula or whatever it was for uh, for Morton, he should be fine for spring training. There's your five. And a guy like Muller, who doesn't have a ton of volume uh, behind him. Uh, 111 innings in 2019. We don't know what 2020 was. Uh, this past year was about 120, 130 as well. I... Uh, you probably are going to see actually 120. You're going to see likely 150 or so from Mueller. So I think they expect him to come up at some point. Um, but we just don't know, again, how much that's going to be. Uh, and I'll, yeah, keep our eyes on Mueller when he does come up. But it's not something I do want to go after in my drafts because I don't feel like I need to stash him. I'm just very excited for 2022. And uh, yeah, we'll see what we get from him. Uh, 23rd round. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh man, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll tell you what the mullet report is later. I, <laughs> I I I that was a roundup. That, I'm cheating. I didn't come up with that one. I'm so sorry. This is what I do when I'm intimidated by you, Pernick, and your puns. <laughs> uh, last round, as you mentioned before, Eduardo Escobar. I uh, work. Walk me through Escobar. Was this someone that you were talking, uh, thinking about through the draft as a target in the last round? And uh, yeah, tell me everything you know about Eduardo Escobar. You know, I really wasn't thinking about him. And I think that's a situation people often find themselves with Escobar because he's just not a player that really excites you like, oh, I really want him. It's more like you kind of end up with him at least maybe with the exception of after that 35 homer season. But, you know, I was looking at Schwindel and thinking there were a few Segura. There's a, a, a lot of good guys still on the board. That's a, sometimes it's, it's tough in 12 teamers. But when I looked close, I was like, wait a second. He qualifies at second and third base. He hit 28 homers last year, and he's still available. Like, of course, I'm going to take him. I mean, he was 97th on the Rasball Player Raider and 16th among second basemen. That's above Ty France and Jazz Chisholm. Uh, he's kind of a guy who I, he Bregmans his way into value in the sense that he uh, not not so much in terms of plate discipline where his isn't great, but he just hits a ton of fly balls and vol- in that way volumes his way into home runs. Even though his hard hit rate and like average exit velocity aren't great but this year he he really went crazy with it with a 47 percent fly ball rate 48 percent pull rate for escobar and uh i think he had a 14 percent homer fly ball rate that's like well into what you'd expect for him but the thing that really got me excited for this year is that he had a career best 111 mile an hour max exit velocity and a career best 9% barrel rate. So I think that even though he's like going to be 33, I think he's kind of a new hitter since 2019. And I think that Steamer projects him for 248 average and 27 homers. But I think maybe he can do even a little better than that and just kind of be an RBI and runs produced machine and uh, makes a great late round pick to kind of uh, shore up your middle infield, especially if you have kind of injury slash performance risk guys like Glaber and Donaldson on your team. Yeah. Look at you. I uh, keep in mind also 14 games started at first base, 18 played. So you have some first base out to be in there too for Eduardo Escobar. I wonder where he lands. I, I think his ultimate value will be if you, if he's somehow in the top half of the lineup somewhere, uh, Escobar can yeah, he can give you another 90 RBI season, another season above 75 runs. Uh, this is 314 on base percentage, which isn't really going to sh- change a lot. 
uh, which is the one issue I think about the run totals, but he's going to sell off for power. You're going to probably get 25 plus home runs if he has that playing time. And that's not something to ignore uh, this late in the draft. So definitely monitor where Escobar goes. I imagine you're going to see a lot of player A, player B uh, tweets in, uh, in in February or March about Escobar. And be like, oh, player B was Escobar. Um, and uh, I, I generally uh, I am not the biggest fan of those just because there's always so much nuance that can be lost in whatever is presented in those things. You know, there's a reason, you know, we're, we're not going after Escobar necessarily because, yeah, the average isn't great. And we don't know if, you know, we really want to buy into that empty production necessarily. But, I mean, I think Escobar, especially in 15 teamers and FBC stuff, uh, he's great. Wherever, yeah, As long as he's batting in that first half, yeah, you're going to get a good amount of home runs, good amount of runs and RBI. Not going to be the worst average ever. Like that's in the 23rd round. That's incredibly good to chase. Uh, especially with that positional flexibility as well. So this, if I were in like a draft and hold or a best ball, like Escobar would be on every single team I'd have. Um, but it's just something to, to think about um, as people compare him probably to like Reese Hoskins or to uh, Josh Bell or whatever it is at first base, that kind of thing. And we understand that there's more of a ceiling that is attainable with, uh, with the other two options. But yeah, I mean, Escobar should be circling a lot of your drafts, especially if you're like, uh-oh. I don't have a third baseman or second baseman or a first baseman. What do I do? Escobar can be the one that's like, all right, this is good enough for me. But all right. And especially if he gets traded to a team with like a small, you know, a good Homer ballpark like right. Cincinnati or the Yankees, I'd be all over him. Yeah, he's a free agent, so it's not even a trade. He'll we'll figure out where he does right, go. Right. Um, but uh, but all right, that is your team, Ben Pernick. 23 rounds. Here we are. On a scale of 1 to 23, because we have that many rounds, how would you rank your team? I think I would go with, maybe this is a little bullish, but I would say 18. I think okay. the infield the infield was the real weakness that I didn't feel great about, but I loved the closers and the rest of it. Cool. Uh, yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty good. I like I liked your hitting a lot. Um, I mean, I don't love the Bellinger and Torres plays as much. Uh, but yeah, uh, Walsh, Donaldson, uh, I mean, even some Cronenworth of our show seems appealing at Escobar. I think you really, and of all your second half hitters, I think you did a great job with, I'm not the biggest fan of the Patino pick and the Muller. And you might be a little annoyed about six though, even though I was sniped on that and Evaldi maybe as well, but you know, even Bueller, Giolito, Montes and Hey, Descofani is not bad in the slightest, um, and yeah, you have a pretty solid team here, especially considering that you chased Josh Hader and, and Iglesias. So exciting stuff here. I think it's 18 is a really good score and, uh, yeah, it's a very solid team here, Pernick. Um, but that's it, man. That's it. You did it. We did it. You did the thing. Uh, <laughs> remind everybody what you do and where they can find you. Oh, uh, well, you can see me making lots of uh, terrible jokes on uh, <laughs> Facebook and Twitter and Pitcher List, uh, where you'll see my buy and sell column. You can find where, me where on, on Twitter, Twitter at Benjamin Pernick. There Just you my go. first name stretched and out. Then, and then Pernick. Um, yes, it is on, on my behalf. Um, no, um, Pernick. Anyway, uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the On the Corner podcast. So on behalf of Ben Pernick, my name is Nick Pollock, and we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>